much. Our text is Psalms chapter 22. Psalm 22, we've been on, this is the eighth message now in this series. If you missed a message, you can uh, go back to our website at centralbaptistocala.org and uh, look it up or at our Central Baptist, or no, our sermonaudio.com slash centralbaptist and you can uh, find it on there. But either one, go back and look at the sermons that you may have missed or you may want to listen to again. But Psalms chapter 22 is our text, and I'll probably start, uh, we'll start when I start on our text in verse 11, but um, just by way of introduction, we've titled this series, The Man, Christ Jesus. You know, when you think of the man, Christ Jesus, that where do you get that? Well, First Timothy chapter 2 and, and verse 5 says, There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And, you know, that eliminates uh, a whole lot of things. For example, there's no human that can fulfill that. There's no pastor. No pastor can be the mediator between you and God. No priest can be the mediator between you and God, except the high priest, Jesus Christ, of course. No pope, no imam, no person of any religious person can be the mediator between you and God. Only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the only human born without a sin nature. Adam and Eve were created. They sinned ever before Cain and Abel were conceived. And so the only human to be born who was formed by the Father inside of the Virgin Mary, only he was that person without a sin nature. But understand, he was the son of God from eternity past. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. Jesus existed throughout all eternity past in spirit. He never ceased being God. He was God's son. We had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three divine personages in one divine essence. Men like to use the term trinity. It's good. It's, it's a good term. But I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through the counsels of God, they left. When God said, let us make man in our image, man would be a spirit with a soul and a body, and God would bring in, uh, breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and man would become a living soul. But again, don't ever forget, the image that we're made in is not of a body, but rather of a spirit. Now, when we are resurrected, if you're saved and you're resurrected at the resurrection, you'll have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Not anything like what you've had here on earth. Oh, far better, far better than that will be. And so, again, we have Jesus, 
the Son of God, now formed inside of Mary, drawn out by the Father, as Psalms 22 tells us, and then he is born to become the human Son of God as well, the God's only begotten Son. He was fully human and yet fully God. Psalms 22, I think the song the trio just sang just fits so well with that. Really, that's just uh, Psalms 22. Would, that could be the theme song for Psalm 22. It was written 1,000 years before the cross of Jesus Christ. It was described in very minute detail. But we understand the, uh, the uh, humanity of Jesus Christ because he had a spirit, he had a soul, as well as a body that was totally human. Verse 1 describes what our soul, spirit, and body would feel if that was facing us and there was no help whatever. We'd be saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's very understandable that if he's fully human, he would feel what we'd feel with one exception, he had no sin. In our own minds, we'd know that there'd be a certain justness for us to be there on the cross, for us to pay the penalty for eternity. <laughs> but the great news is, Jesus paid it all. And so, this Psalms will show his human spirit when he has no help for his body, for his human spirit. When the Almighty does not minister to him. Oh, as we told you before in previous sermons, all the, he was ministered to in the wilderness. He was ministered to at Gethsemane. God led his mother and Joseph out of Bethlehem when, when they were going to try to kill him. We know that. But there was no help for him whatever when he would pay the penalty for us, our sin. And I want you to see in this chapter that was fulfilled 1,000 years after it was written, Just what he went through spiritually for us. You see, I'm going to give you some various passages as we go throughout. You may want to write some of those down. But as a trio sang today of them seeing him, Mary seeing him there on the cross, and what he was suffering for them. He was, his stripes, hanging there naked, and his mother is watching this. Being mocked, being scorned, 
besides all the physical inflection of pain on him. And there is no help. And so we look at verse 11. He says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. This is what those sweat drops in Gethsemane were all about. Now it's coming to pass. Your sin, my sin, the depravity of our entire lifetime of sin is placed upon him on that cruel cross. And he goes on to say, many bulls, <clears throat> has, excuse me, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. You know, when Rome conquered the Grecian Empire that was controlling the Middle East, they made some changes. They built roads. They, they, they did some good things, actually, there. And they built roads so people could uh, travel freely, whether they lived in Israel, whether they lived in Jordan or Syria. They, they, they just fixed it up. But one of the places where they liked to live, Roman soldiers, Roman officers, Roman businessmen, they loved Bashan. It was noted for its great, green, rich pastures. The bulls of Bashan, because of those great rich green pastures, would be very, you might say, very healthy, big, things that you'd uh, like to go to market and get the money for, because they were big bulls of Bashan. You'd like to have one. And yet, they could be dangerous could charge a person out in the pasture, could actually kill a person, could bite upon a person. These were some big bulls. Also in Bashan, it was not only very green, they had access to water, the mountains to serve as viewing whether an enemy would try to come in. And so there were a lot of folks that were living there that uh, are represented by bulls as well as bulls of Bashan. The bulls of Bashan <clears throat> would be the army, would be the soldiers that was there, that were there, the officers that were there, those that would administer the stripes. But the bulls would be those businessmen. It'd be those others. You see, there were many people that were gathered at the cross. And so, he talks about being surrounded by these bulls of Bashan. Now, we don't see a bunch of bulls around the cross. If you've ever been to Israel and you see that hill, the hill of the skull, Golgotha, you don't see bulls gathered on that hill. Okay, you just wouldn't see that there. 
He goes on in verse 13, though, and he says this. They gapped upon me with their mouth as a ravening and roaring lion. You know, a lot of times you've heard Christians perhaps over the years, and, and I know this is more true years ago than perhaps it is today, but there was a somewhat in Christian, Christian churches and so forth, there was somewhat of an anti-Semitism that was blind to another truth. They would say, oh, those Jews, they killed our Jesus. They killed our Savior. Actually, there were a lot of Gentiles involved. Roman soldiers administered the beating. Jews delivered him. Many Jews wept as they saw what happened and could do nothing about it. They would administer the stripes of him. We read, by his stripes we are healed. The soldiers, when Pilate gave sentence, took Jesus down into the judgment hall. That place, by the way, still stands today. It's not one that they say, okay, this was the way that Jesus went. You know, they, uh, they had the Via Della Rosa and say, this was the path of Jesus. No way that was the path of Jesus, okay, the Via Della Rosa. Uh, but they tell you, and they take in this upper room, this is where the upper, no, no, that's not it at all. But uh, we did walk that way, and it's a whole lot different than that way that they took Jesus when he walked from there. But the hall is the actual hall. If you're inside that place, well, anywhere you are inside that place, you're within 50 feet of where our Savior received 39 stripes. Yet, there's something that is recorded in history as well as about sometimes the things they would do is they would bite these people. They'd bite them. When he says, bulls of Bashan are, are gapping upon me, these are soldiers. He's not only had the whipping, they've slapped his face, they've done so many things to him, but now they bite upon him. Do you remember in the book of Acts? In the book of Acts, we read in chapter 7 of Stephen preaching. And all those Jews are gathered around, and, and he, boy, I mean, he wastes no time. He's not diplomatic. <laughs> He's fully honest and tells them as it is. And they stone him. It tells us they stepped upon him. They ran upon him, besides stoning him, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That was just a part of the torture of that day. Perhaps there was a picture also of Christ shown even before this day. See, a thousand years would take place before Jesus, that would Jesus would actually go through that from Psalms 22. But at least a full 1,500 years or more before that, Job. Oh, we hear the story of Job learning patience and so forth, and Jesus even commended the patience of Job. 
But sometimes there's a part of Job that we all miss. And I think, in a sense, it was God giving Job a picture of the cross. When Job could not understand why all of this was happening to him, he had lived a righteous life. He had, he had tried to serve the Lord. I think God gave him a picture of the Savior who would come. Chapter 38, he'd ask him, where wast thou when I created the heavens and the earth? Where wast thou when he did all these things? The holy God did all of that, and Job could not answer that. He says, I'm vile. But before that, in chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, we read this. I think Job got a picture of the cross, whether we see it or not. Job says, he teareth me in his wrath. He teareth me who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. Now understand, we don't necessarily see at the cross any story that would just seem to be like, well, that's just allegorical. No, everything at the cross is true. What it says about Psalms 22 is true. But here in Job, Job wasn't bitten. Job didn't have that. They, they looked and saw he was sickly and said, well, he must have really sinned big time to have that upon him. And so he says, the eyes are upon me. They have gapped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek. Reproachfully. Now we don't really read that they went up and slapped him. You old sinner, you need to get right with God. We're not told that. Now that, could that happen? Could have, but I don't think it did. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. Jesus Christ on the cross, beaten, bleeding, Naked. His mother seeing it. His mother having to view this. What keeps him there? God so loved the world. Jesus on the cross is surrounded. By all of these. Verse 13 said, a roaring lion. Isn't it interesting that for us as Christians today, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that Satan, our adversary, goeth about as a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. I believe that we're seeing Satan and his devils there. The lion at the cross. Here is Jesus who is tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Satan is after us, but there's one difference. Our Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. But Jesus is forsaken of the Father to endure this for us. Why does he do it? For the joy that is set before him. The joy. The joy of eternity. The joy of everlasting life for us. The joy of a pure and holy eternity in which you are made completely clean, I'm made completely clean. He could have called 12 legions of angels. He told Peter he could do that. But if he does, our opportunity to be saved, to be fully forgiven, will not be fulfilled if he calls 12 legions of angels. Our opportunity to have 1 John 2, verse 2, will be gone to apply to us if he doesn't do that. For there he says, for he is the propitiation. That means the entire payment for all time. For he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only but for the sins of the whole world. That's why in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, he says, Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. You can be saved no matter who you are. You can be saved. If you're not sure if you died today, that heaven is your home. In verse 14, he says, I am poured out. <clears throat> poured out like water. And my bones are out of joint. Look at verse 17 in the same chapter. Where he says in that place, he says, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. I believe that when that cross was dropped down into that hole on Golgotha and it jerked, I believe it jerked his bones out of joint. Now, I don't know if you've ever had, I've had a finger that was, the bone was jerked out of joint and that hurts, I can guarantee you. But that's just a little finger. Goodness gracious. But it hurt. His bones are out of joint, but not a bone of him is broken. But why not break the bones of Jesus when at the end of the day those soldiers come and they break the legs of the first two thieves? But Jesus had just said minutes earlier, Father, 
To thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. And the Roman soldier standing there says, Truly, this was the Son of God. He's witnessed this whole thing. He's heard him say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He can pray for our forgiveness. But there's no help for him to endure the trial. But when they get to him, they don't break his legs. They see that he's already dead. But his bones are out of joint. His heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. And in John 19, and 34, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, break not his bones, break not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. Oh, his heart is melted. Our sin on him who knew no sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the sons of God. Amen. That we might have the righteousness of God placed upon us through receiving him by repentance and faith. He did that for us. We could be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And that's from John as well, 1928. But you know what? Dogs were often used to refer to the sin of homosexuality in the Bible. When they called a man a dog, he was calling him a homosexual. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 18, the instruction was given to the Jews, you should not bring the price of a whore or of a dog into the temple. That would not be your tithe from what a whore or a homosexual made. These are the ones that are there at the cross. They're surrounding the cross. They're mocking him in all of their sin, in all of their depravity and degradation. They look upon him and they mock him. They scorn him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Oh, my. They're all there. 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, though, tells us this. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, that is sexual sin of any kind. That's, pornea is what that word uh, fornicators comes from, the Greek word pornea. It's sexual sin of any type. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those that cheat in marriage, nor effeminate, that's the homosexual lifestyle, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, those that abuse children, those that sell themselves, those that do any of those things, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers. The revelers has the idea of the partying social drinking crowd. Nor extortioners. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> but the next words, oh, the words of hope. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. How? By the blood of Jesus. But you're sanctified. You're set apart. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior by his spirit for holy use. And you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. But who are the assembly of the wicked as well as all of these? We look at Mark chapter 15, verse 1. And straightway in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders, scribes, and the whole council, and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. These are the religious leaders. But you see, that tells us something. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3.10. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. You see, even religious people have to be saved. All are sinners in his sight and need a Savior. When we read of all these things that happen at the cross, all these things that my sin brings upon him, I wonder if we really grasp the reality and the power of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
But I'm so glad it didn't stop right there because there's something added to it in the next verse. He saves you by grace and you don't deserve it. No one deserves to get saved, but he saves us anyway, doesn't he? When we will receive him through repentance and faith. And it says, for we are his workmanship. <laughs> I can't do it. He's got to do it in me. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which he hath before ordained. He had already planned it for you. That you should walk in them. But you make the decision to walk in them. You draw closer to him. He saves you. And that begins a life of walking with him. Yesterday was Passover. That celebrated when the Jews were freed uh, from Egypt. A lamb was slain. And they were freed from their captivity, from their enslavement. But the blood had to be applied to the doorpost. The blood of Jesus Christ, it was shed for you, but it has to be applied. You have to receive him. And they had to leave Egypt. And they had to walk the way that the Lord led them through the wilderness. Some died, many died in the wilderness, saved from Egypt, saved from their sin but not entering into the joy that God wanted them to have throughout eternity. Not the joy of the land. And so many have been saved, but they've never entered, and they won't enter into the joy that the Lord has for us in eternity, except to be saved so as by fire, unless you're willing to walk according to the will of God. Now, my friend, I'm going to cut it off here. What I want to say to you is this. You're seeing the human suffering of Jesus Christ for your sin, for my sin. He did it for us. And he suffered like we would in our very spirit when we realize there's no help at all. Our very soul that would abhor People looking upon us, biting us, spitting on us, mocking us, scorning us. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. Well, the Bible doesn't compare you to anybody else. He says, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. If you're going to compare yourself, compare yourself to Christ. But Christ to take on our punishment out of his love for us suffered everything that we just said. And yet all of these things that we've said about the people about him, about the things that were going on, that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was the Father who formed him in his mother's belly, the father who drew him out. The father would pour out his almighty wrath upon the very human spirit of his son. 
All men could do was what they did to his body. Fear not him that can kill the body. After that, there's no more he can do, but fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why the resurrection is so important. The penalty is paid, but the one that paid it arose victoriously over hell and the grave. He has the keys, Revelation 1.18 says, of death and of hell. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, Jesus said, and that's still true today. So let me ask you, are you 100% sure if you died today that heaven's your home? If not, why not make sure today? I've got men and women that if you want to make sure you can come and, and I'll direct you to one of them and they can open the Bible and show you how you can know that if you died today that heaven can be your home. How you can walk out of here with the confidence you're saved and your eternal home is now heaven. But Jesus doesn't force you to come. But he does say, come and drink of the water of life freely. Will you come? Will you come? Let's bow our heads, please.